Hi there, innovators. Brandon Terrell of EPAM Continuum here. We are coming to you from Boston, where we're lucky to have a number of fabulous cultural institutions. One of my favorites is the Museum of Fine Arts, the MFA, and it's coming up on its 150th anniversary. In our work, we've seen that for nonprofit organizations like the MFA, it can be a challenge to fully embody their values while also making enough money to keep the lights on. But for a museum with such a rich history, the MFA is quite open to experimenting with new methods to engage their community and connect people with art in new ways. So they recently asked us to help them rethink their membership program and balance the mission that drives them with the revenue that sustains them. And now that we're about a year out from that project, we invited some of the MFA team back to discuss that experience and where they're going from here. Katie Getchell, the Chief Brand Officer and Deputy Director, and Julia Propp, the Director of Membership, were both part of that project. So listen up to learn how they gave themselves permission to experiment and why being a leader among cultural institutions requires creating new models for others to follow. Today in, in our studio, we have uh, Katie Getchell and Julia Propp uh, from the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. And we, uh, just about a year ago, we started uh, a project uh, with them that we've, we've since concluded, but they've been doing a lot of exciting work since, and we had a, a great experience there. And we are excited to, to have them here to talk a little bit about that. Um, so to get us started off, uh, would each of you mind just giving an overview of, of what you do and, and if you can include in there something that, uh, that's interesting about your job that somebody wouldn't find in your LinkedIn profile, let's say. Sure, well, I'll start. I'm a Chief Brand Officer and Deputy Director, which kind of means I do a little bit of a lot of things and know just enough to be dangerous about most of them. Um, I have the Visitor Experience Functions, Membership, Member and Visitor Services, Protective Services, as well as all our communications functions and our intellectual property, uh, retail and dining. So that's kind of all the visitor touch points one way or another report into me, pretty much. Um, so that's the official uh, role. I guess what you might not find in my LinkedIn profile is that my expertise is really is in connecting people. Like that's what I do, connecting people across the organization and whether that's a donor, and a curator or a programmer, um, whether that's a, a programmatic person and a, a operational person, uh, making those connections is really what I feel I really do at the heart of it. Hmm. That's fair. What about you, Julia? Um, so I'm the director of membership. So I oversee the, um, uh, with myself and the membership team, we oversee the general membership program, which includes um, individuals who uh, start giving at 75, right up to a penny under 3,000. Um, also want to oversee the university membership program, MFA citizens, uh, our institutional pass program, uh, community college access program. So kind of anything involving general membership um, uh, is, is under our purview. And I would say the thing that is would not be in my LinkedIn profile that I do is um, maybe I'm the unofficial hype man of, uh, of the brand division at the MFA. I feel like I'm, I'm uh, the first to clap, the first to holler. Um, Usually the only. Maybe the only. <laughs> I'm sort of like the little John, I guess. I, I just go and throw a yeah in there. Um, Much yeah. appreciated. Yeah, always. And, and, and why is that important to have, to have an unofficial hype man? <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I come from a theater background, and I think, um, well, it's in theater, but you also talk about, like, you know, they say about in church, you know, like, if you're, if you're, you know, saying a message that matters, it's important that you hear back from the audience that they're listening. And so I always, I always think that if you're, if you're throwing something out there, getting, getting a holler back is important. Mm. That's great. Um, and so when we, uh, like I said, we started working together about a year ago, uh, I'm curious to, to hear, uh, and for our audience, what, what initiated that project? Um, and how did it, how did it feel to go through that process? I think a number of things really came together to initiate it. Julia was relatively new and um, looking to think about membership um, as part of our strategic plan as more of a community engagement and community and audience audience engagement and audience diversification tool, not just a strictly old, more old fashioned kind of membership model uh, was one. Uh, and then there was another, which was looking at as a, as a nonprofit institution that's largely um, reliant on, on, audience-driven revenue, thinking a lot about how do we grow for the future, uh, and there are very few levers we can pull, and membership as one of our biggest revenue sources is one of them, so trying to find that balance between the need and opportunity to grow revenue, but the mandate and the desire and belief in using it as a tool to create a community was kind of, could be seen as conflicting goals for the program. And so um, we were looking to do something that would bring all those together. And I think it's the, the, the potential for conflict that we actually turned into a, a win-win that maybe brought us through to be more comfortable with a human-centered design approach to that process. I would say I was, um, I think one of the turning points was the, I think the launch of the strategic plan that the MFA put out um, in the, it was the summer of 2017, I think. And, um, you know, it, it really was, I, I was interviewing at the time and I remember uh, when it came out, how excited I was in, you know, here's this great institution like the MFA in a city like Boston, really sort of kind of coming forward, uh, really uh, looking to walk the talk in terms of their values and kind of really making sure that the um, the institution was aligning with the mission, mission and vision that it had for the future and uh, is part of the strategic plan. One of the initiatives underneath it was to redesign the membership program, which is really sort of what got um, me excited about about this project and working working there. And I think, as Katie said, sort of over the course of that first year, as we were sort of really looking at what was going to sort of take us to um, kind of take us to that level with the membership redesign, we we did hone in on these kind of four goals. And I think this challenge of, okay, what what program and experience can hit all of these four goals? And that was, you know, generating revenue, developing new audiences, strengthening community and providing access. Um, each of those goals are very unique to each other and yet um, wholly together very important and sort of speak to kind of, I think, the larger vision of what we're trying to do with audiences at the MFA. Mm. And are, are those four goals, uh, is that what you're referring to, Katie, when you talk about things potentially being in conflict? Yes, on the face of it, looking at those four, you could say you could, you, how can you have a program, when you look at it in the face of it, how could you have a program that could do all four things? And Julie and I were believers from the beginning that we could. We didn't know exactly what it was, but we believed that we could find a way to meld those, those access and engagement with the revenue generation. And um, so as a, as a team, the two of us um, forged on. What what was it that was that, that made your conviction so strong? Why why did you feel like you you knew you could do it? I think again, I think the strategic plan that had launched really serves as a spine and a backbone. I think for a reasoning for a lot of it, and and I think when you sort of um, when your why is very focused, 
uh, you, you know, you, 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 the, the how and the what sort of figures itself out. And I think we were very, we were very clear on kind of the why that the program needed to sort of take this direction. I think both for the institution, but for the city in general, for kind of how we're, you know, sort of seeing how um, audiences are changing and how they interact with arts and culture. I think also just recognizing, I think, as the MFA sort of comes up, um, we're coming up on our 150th anniversary, that this was a moment for um, a moment and opportunity for transformational growth in a way that we maybe hadn't done or thought or tried before. And um, it's an allowance for risk taking that we felt like we could maybe take in a time where maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. And a way to link back to the history and remember that the the people who founded the museum were pretty brave and bold and risk-taking in their time and thinking about what the city needed. Uh, and so we were trying to kind of invoke there in a very different way, in a very different time with a different set of challenges and a different city in many ways, invoke their spirit of generosity in creating a place of community and creativity that we could do that again in a new way for a new time. So how were you able to take that uh that ambition and that boldness and that that confidence that you had that you could get this done and 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 get the organization on board uh, to the degree that you're both going to try to do something that's new and you're going to take a new approach in in trying human centered design. It's interesting to think about the RFP process a year just really a year ago now. Uh, the other the other folks that we looked at were much more traditional in the management consulting kind of realm and. Uh, I think Julie and I were more aware of what human-centered design could potentially provide. We, we weren't certainly, we're still not, but we certainly weren't experts then. Uh, and But it, I think we were both pleasantly surprised or pleasantly pleased by how much everybody around the table kind of lit up at at the idea. So I, it wasn't as hard as maybe we might have feared to kind of get people in that direction. We didn't go in with any real preconceived notion other than being open to anything. Uh, and people really, it, it really inspired, and not just in us, but in others, the, um, the the possibility that this could actually become a reality. I, mean, I, th- I think we got really excited about um, starting this process with you guys because we sort of, we, we knew you thought differently. We knew you would help us think differently. And uh, we knew that this process would sort of give us the tools that would help this project live on past the recommendations. I, th- I think a lot of times when organizations take on program redesign projects of this kind, you know, a lot of it, especially with membership, a lot of it will be based in pricing analysis. So you'll say, okay, what's the threshold between this level and this level with this audience? And what benefits could we add to get these people to move up this way? And I, I think the um, the opportunity to really think of this as an experience and not as a product um, was exciting and impactful. And I think uh, we're we're talking a lot at the museum in different ways about how to be iterative in our approach and all sorts of different things. And we recognize that I think a human-centered design process for a membership redesign would really allow us to do that. One thing I remember saying early on was that we we are known as being a leader in the field in terms of our membership program when you look at the size versus our city and the revenue per member and all these kind of Quantitative statistics, and so to me, it was important to say if we to, to stay a, to stay ahead, we have to think about it totally differently because there's only so much looking at it that way you can you can get. So to me, if we're a leader, being a leader means thinking about it differently and doing it differently and finding a new model that maybe others can follow. Hmm. 
and maybe just for 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 the voices that are that aren't here at the podcast too. I mean, we we were luckily also not alone. Um, this one of the exciting things that we were doing as part of this redesign process was, um, uh, you know, Katie and I oversee general membership, which goes up a little over three thousand. But we actually were able to engage development, our external. Um, relations into all of the membership levels of the organization going up to uh, museum council and patrons so members uh, members who are giving at much higher levels um, and are really kind of more focused in philanthropy than maybe the transactional relationships that membership can have so um, I think we really had all sides of the institution sort of looking at this and sort of seeing the potential of what it could sort of mean not just for the membership work but um, but how we also work with each other across the institution yeah that was one of the things that I think uh, I found really uh, striking and, and impressive about working on this project is the um, the level of engagement we got with so many people around the museum that that were willing to talk to us and 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 help us get through this process. Uh, and it, it struck me that the 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 culture of the museum was really nice and that people were so passionate about the the role the museum plays in society and and uh, and art and and the way they can share that with people. Um, did you feel like uh, you were able to to kind of uh, to, to, to capture and, and direct that that strong culture into this more innovative, um, iterative approach to things. I think it's an interesting question. I think for me, one of the things that was very uh, telling early on was to the slides you showed, and I forget what it's called, but about the ideal state and kind of the iterative process to get to the ideal state. And the way I one of the way I ways I interpreted that for the team was be to be there for them to be grateful that we're going to have a map because until then a lot of the things we were trying were because I had a an idea I saw something someplace or I had this crazy idea or a friend said something and I threw it out there as an idea to try not because it was the right idea but to try to partially because I like some of the ideas but also to try to get to people to think about new and different ways of doing things and to have a con construct in which to do that that felt strategic and yet still open to opportunism and um, and testing and trial, to me, I, th I hoped it was going to be reassuring to people instead of me, like, what, what bright idea is she going to come up with today? Um, it would be part of leading towards something greater. Hmm. Uh, and, and did you, uh, what, what did you feel like you, you wish you'd known a year ago when you started this process? One of the things we found exciting, but also I think a little bit scary about kind of coming in with uh, st kind of starting this process is we didn't quite know what we were going to get, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the the being comfortable with ambiguity was um, was a very big um, was I think uh, a muscle that we had to learn how to flex was um, how to go through this process with I think sort of a much more kind of open mind and and realizing that also during that um, the process itself was going to be transformative, not just what you got at the end. I think if I could go back in time, I think saying, you know, become you're not going to know a lot. You're not going to feel like you are, are getting where you want to go and be be OK with that. But then also like just I think stay um, stay stay in it uh, because because while you're in it, you're actually getting more out of it than you realize. And speaking of the process, I was I was reminiscing about the the work that we did together, and 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 thinking about uh, how when we when we get to go out in the field and we talk to customers or users or members, uh, we often have these these great revelatory moments when we really get to know what people need and who they are. Uh, and it was it was great to have both of you uh, at times out in those interviews with us. And what what was that experience like for you? And and are there any like big moments that uh, that still stand out for you from that experience? I think it it 
it's always interesting to talk with customers and visitors. And in particular, we even though we know our program is complicated and has a lot of layers to it, when you talk with people and they just are completely unaware of what they get or don't get and why, it's it's um, it's good to hear because we need to hear that. It's frustrating to hear because we think we're clear and we think we're explaining things, but people didn't know how many people they got in with them. People didn't know what their benefits were. Um, and you can't, nothing replaces hearing that from directly from the consumer. So that was really valuable. Julie probably has more time to do that than I do. So it was, it was um, enlightening to me. Not, not terribly surprising, but just again, it was just a really good reminder. Mm-hmm. I really loved, um, and I don't know if I appreciated this quite so much until we were, were in people's homes and sort of seen, I think, who they were and kind of how, how much being part of the MFA is informative, like helps kind of inform and inform others about like who they are and like their lives. Like when we were sitting in one member's house, um, which was filled with artwork that his wife did and um, talking about it. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, uh, I think you are reminded that, you know, this being part of this one institution is just a very small part of who they are. And yet how they talk about it, how they use it, how they, um, how they use the, both the museum and being a member to, either just explain who they are and what they believe in is is a really powerful thing. Um, and I think especially a, a lot of times we're all talking about how we're living our values, how do we show our values, how do we how do we talk about the things that matter? And I think I was just really impressed with how much that our, our members do that um, in, in the day-to-day in things, ways that I don't think we ever even realize. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always great to, to be able to, to experience that and hear those stories and then carry that forward in the in the design work that we do and and creating experience strategies and things like that and then uh, and then of course you get to the the part where you actually have to start uh, testing and piloting and, and doing things right and that that is a whole other uh, whole other can of worms and over uh, over lunch you were telling me about a uh, experience you had recently piloting a component of the experience and and I'd love it if you'd share that story because it 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 was so exciting to hear about how it all came together and how, um, you know, how kind of uh, dedicated and, and ambitious the team was to get it done. So what what happened there? How did that come about? So I think I think one of the big ideas that um, that that we worked together on uh, during the, the the research project was this idea of you know, how can membership be sort of a tool in a larger audience development strategy? And I, and, and the idea that came out of that was sort of a first year free program. And um, after we left you guys, we spent about a, a good like five, six months really trying to kind of work out like what that actually could mean in the institution. You know, we took the, the big idea that anyone in Boston could get a free membership to like, okay, so how do we actually make that, um, you know, strategic and, and, and feasible and um, thoughtful and uh, really wrestled with how do we make this sort of a meaningful test? How do we look at our 150th anniversary? And um, I think one of the things that continues to be a learning for us as a, as a big institution, how do we how do we try things? How do we try things and um, and see how they work before we kind of launch things into full implementation? Is just sort of the nature of being a large, complicated nonprofit, like a lot of large nonprofits are. Um, and so so we had gone through this this process of uh, financial proposals and board meetings and lots of buy-in. And we had this whole pilot plan uh, for around the 150th that we had lined up for next January. And one of them is to launch a first-year free membership uh, initiative where we would be giving free memberships out at our community celebrations. 
and we had a pilots team that was assembled and we were in the process of doing risk analysis and financial da 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 and lots of business jargon on how to do this thoughtfully and without risk and all of that stuff um and and and, and there was a lot of planning going on, and we, we were moving toward that January 2020 kind of launch date. Um, and and then uh, we had our Juneteenth celebration coming up, and it was the eighth, holiday, eighth celebration we've done um, at the MFA. And it was just really important this year that we created a very authentic, very meaningful invitation for all of the audiences that were coming. It was really important to everyone in the institution that we do that. And um, it was a Friday, and I think the event was going to happen on a Wednesday. And uh, we had just got finished having like a two hour meeting about all the things that we would need to do to have this first year free program launch. We need kiosks and we need volunteers and we need maps and we need all of these different things and and uh, left that meeting. And then I went to Katie's office and I said, uh, I, 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 I don't think our, <laughs> our teams are going to be happy with us, but I I think we should just try to just offer free memberships at Juneteenth and just see how it goes and not do any of the things yet that we, we have spent all this time planning. Let's just put some sign-up forms and get some volunteers and do it. Um, and she was right. It was. <laughs> I was glad she did because I had been thinking, I wish we could do this, but I can't bear to ask anybody to do one more thing. Uh, and then it came from Julia, which was which was better, and I backed her right away. We, we got support from the rest of the leadership team. And because we had four days, but I don't think we agreed till Monday to do it, and Wednesday was the day. Uh, so we didn't have a lot of time, so it forced us to shortcut a lot of processes and decisions and planning and follow-up, and so we just we just barreled through. We just said, okay, we're not gonna have the kiosks, we're not gonna have digital sign-up, so we're gonna have paper, let's make a form. Uh, we're not gonna have signage, we haven't put it in the programs, okay, so we can have the director and other presenters say it in their welcoming remarks. Uh, we don't know how we're going to enter this information into our CRM and track them, but we'll figure that out later. Um, all kinds of things just were able to be shortcut because we had this deadline and we were just going to try it out. And it gave everybody, I think, in a way, some license to to just give it a try. And what we weren't going, we weren't planning on it, so we had nothing to lose. Um, and the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, it was it was slow at first, so we um, I, so so like Katie said, we cut a lot of corners, and we we only had four volunteers with clipboards just signing up members as they came in, and and there were how, how many people were there that that night? Six thousand. So so six thousand coming in, so it was really slow, sort of trickling, like six people versus six thousand guys, um, and uh, but but words slowly started catching on, and. Um, when Matthew, our director, sort of said it at the welcome remarks, and it was really important how he said it too, is is that, you know, we are going to be launching these free memberships as part of our 150th, but tonight's going to be the first one because we're just so glad you're here and we want to make sure that you feel welcome here every day of the year. And then all the other speakers like started picking up and they were like, did you hear what he said? Like they're offering free memberships tonight. Like this is like, you know, everybody should take advantage of this. Like this is like this is your chance to sort of claim the space as your own and say that like and say that this is yours every day of the year. And um, and then all of a sudden, like people started getting excited and people started coming up. And then the staff that was working got super into it. Like the the manager of the retail shop came and he grabbed a stack of papers or the tour guides were announcing to people that it was happening. Um, a Member that was just attending that evening grabbed a stack and was just passing out forms in the rotunda just saying I, I don't even know the details on this it's just such a great thing everyone has to do it um some of the some people were in disbelief they're like so is this a raffle like one of us is gonna get one I'm like no you're all gonna get one yeah <laughs> uh, and we signed up we signed up 1300 people that night it was it was incredible it was 26 percent 26 percent of the attendees 
signed up. Um, is, that, is that percentage right? We're doing. It must be. It must have been four thousand that night, six thousand in the yeah, in the day. We can, but we, we, during we can, those hours, we can do math. We can do math. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. It was. It, it was great. And I think what happened. What happened after that was just as great because, as I as I said, you know, there was a there's a team of very thoughtful, responsible people that have been working about how to make this program really launch and and uh, be sustainable and. I think it was one of those instances where like plans are useless, but planning is essential because the next day, you know, all of those conversations that we're going to, you know, all these, this time that we needed to take to do all this different stuff, everyone is so aligned on the why they were so aligned on kind of what needed to be done. Uh, we just did it. And, um, you know, the, the, the memberships were built in the system. The, they were entered. We had 1300 forms that were entered over a four day period because everyone just rolled up their sleeves and did it. Um, it, it, it was a really incredible moment. And I think what we, one of the most surprising things to me to learn was that some of those shortcuts were actually well-designed. So one of the major things was the paper forms because we had convinced ourselves that we needed to do this all direct entry and that would make it faster and easier and more accurate and all these things. But what we learned was the human interaction any of, any of us had signing people up was worth so much more, even if there were some data entry problems later because it wasn't written neatly enough or whatever that might be, uh, and the time it took then to do the data entry. But that human interaction of a volunteer or staff member of the museum making this genuine invitation to somebody. When I got the form back, I said, thanks, we'll mail your card to your address in Lowell or wherever, or Boston or wherever it was. and. It, it meant so much to have that human interaction that we decided for the rest of the pilots to just do it on paper. And so that saved us a lot of time building something, a lot of money creating something, again, for this pilot year. And if we continue to do it beyond that, we might, we might go back to a technological solution. But it was very clear that, that what, was a, what we thought was a detriment was actually a positive. And I think it goes back and it speaks to sort of the, you know, what what was important about this idea from the get-go of why you suggested it. And, and again, the, you know, we're really trying to look at membership and the idea of, of of loyalty and like how do you build loyalty and it's through building trust and it's building this sense of belonging and um, I think what we really saw was how how much like we can overcomplicate things that then get away from that like that that original intent and that like as we kind of go forward and as we do actually get this into implementation is how do we keep that human connection how do we keep that personalization how do we keep every interaction with anybody who signs up as authentic and as meaningful as the people that had it that evening. Hmm. And, and how did it, how did it feel to, to go through the, the preparation process for that? Cause it, you had this enormous success and, and, and I imagine that, uh, the, what was it? Four days that you had to, to prepare for this was, was busy, right? What, what did that feel like? Anytime an idea kind of proves itself out or you feel like you got something, you, you, you did something right, it feels, it feels good. I think, um, you know, I think if our colleague Megan was, was, was sitting here, I think, you know, she was one of the people who stood in the rotunda and personally assigned up 126 families and uh, starred every single uh, um, sign-up form so she could personally follow up with them. Um, I think... It's it's I think that's an example of like why we do what we do, why we're why we're why we work at some place like the MFA is because we we care about that personal impact and we care about making that difference. And I think at the end of the day, it's it's it, it is about how you're making that kind of connection. And when you make that connection, that that makes it worth any idea how much it succeeds or fails. I, that indirectly answered your question. I don't think that directly answered your question. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I th that's, that's really helpful to know, I think. And I think uh, the way other staff, even not involved in it, um, other staff, restaurant staff, guards, other staff working that night having nothing to do with this program were so wrapped up in it and they wanted to know more about it and you know when, when were we going to do it again and could they do it and could they get one for their daughter and uh, so it gave everybody it was a it was just a, a very mo a, mo a moment a singular moment in time when everybody could have a reason to connect with it whether they were directly involved in it or not and again as julia said to remind everybody of this is one of the ways that we actually realize our mission of connecting art and people in a very genuine way. And whether you were signing people up that night or whether you were in the galleries guarding something or giving a tour, you felt part of this something greater, which was really um, a really good moment for everybody. Hmm. And and so uh, both of you thinking about the uh, the work to come and, and you've had this great success and there's 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 a lot more exciting stuff on the horizon. Uh, how do you how do you think about leading people through a time of change like this? Like, because this is, it feels like a big moment for the MFA. You got I, this, Katie. I was just telling Julia uh, on the way over about another project I'm working on now that were, it was interesting to me because we're not talking about it necessarily as pilots and it certainly wasn't done as um, thoughtfully with an outside consultant or anything, but some changes we're making in a, in a, in a process. And uh, I, I was saying, you know, well, so for the fall, we'll do it this way and then we'll see what happens. And then we'll, we have another shot at it in the spring and we'll, we'll do it, you know, we'll do it by hand in the fall. And then in the spring, we'll do it in a designed way. And I was realizing that I need to be better about talking about that as a pilot and as about, um, about, uh, about design thinking and about change over time. I was just saying it as the way we're going to do it. When in fact, so it felt good to see that we were actually doing other things in the same way. We just weren't calling it the same thing. So I, I, I'm now thinking about how can I help the institution connect these things, these projects, and other projects that are happening as it isn't so different from the way we work in other areas. Um, we're doing this to some extent already. This gives us a little bit more permission, a little bit more confidence, uh, a little bit more collegiality and that we're all doing it together and we have to cut each other some slack in either projects because we're we're all t testing and learning in this in this test and learn process uh, so I think to me it's uh, in a leadership role to think about how to use the lingo and vocabulary to talk about it that way um, so people understand that these are similar processes playing out in different ways across projects across the organization hmm. something I think I, I can't remember who said it during during the process with Continuum, but the whole idea, you know, I, I mean, this base concept that membership is sharing, but there's also this thing that love is transitive and we catch it from each other. And I think, I think what this instance sort of showed is how much those early wins can really help kind of give momentum and sort of buoy these other efforts. And um, I think for me, I think as we go forward, especially as we sort of launch these pilots, I'm really looking at from kind of just a team management or project management perspective, like what are those early wins that we can always focus on and remind and bring people back to? Like how do we bring people back to like, you know, that that really like this is about providing great experiences, connecting people to the art, getting them to un like like feel excited about sharing the museum with with others, and um and and that we get to do that, that we get to actually share this amazing place that we work with um with everyone in Boston, everyone in everyone in the country, the world. Um, but I think it's those those early wins that are really important to sort of carry through and kind of like harken back to because it's easy to forget it's it's easy to forget those things. It's easy to forget um 
how easily things can be done. And um, yeah. So uh, we're we're coming to the end of our time here, but I have, I have one last question for each of you. Uh, given that the this this is such an exciting time for the MFA and and so many uh, so many great things happening, what are what are each of you really excited about over the next year that any members or potential members who, who may be listening should also be excited about? Uh, well, certainly as we're thinking about our, we're not thinking about, we're in, we're just about to celebrate our 150th anniversary. Uh, I think there are, with all of the programs that we're doing, we're looking at how they create community, how they uh, bring people together, how they create make you part of something greater, whether that's as a staff member, a volunteer, a member, a visitor, uh, or a donor or supporter. So in any role that you have, that you are participating in something that is much greater than yourself. Uh, and I think that is that feels right for the 150th. It feels right for us as an organization. It feels right for us um, as a society right now. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's a fortuitous moment to have all these different things coming together. Um, one of the other initiatives of the strategic plan is a, um, is defining the museum's brand, which um, is something that as, an, as a historic organization of 150 years, we have a brand, but it hasn't been, it's been, it's built up, not by any conscious, not particular conscious strategic effort of our own. So to think about how that intersects with this membership uh, pilots um, and the many other programs we have going on, to me, it feels like a, a really once in a career once in a lifetime moment to have all these different opportunities coalesce uh, to really reinforce the the amazing opportunity and potential role the museum has to play in our city. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that and maybe from a maybe a, a, a more personal kind of when I was interviewing at the MFA and I was in a meeting with Katie and the director in a very intimidating meeting, he asked, you know, why, why do you want to work at the MFA? And I, I, I told him I, I had seen the strategic plan and there was a initiative to redesign the membership program to align with the museum's values. And I really think we're at the place where we're doing that. And that's what we are. We have for uh we have in store for members and visitors over the 150th. And so I'm really excited to share that. I'm really excited to be um, be part of this whole effort where we're um, we're that anyone can sort of experience the values of the institution through the membership program. And for current, we've talked a lot about for about this first year free program, but but for our many um, many many members for whom we're to whom we're very grateful, they'll have some great surprises and benefits in store as well. So uh, not only will we hope that they feel good about making things possible for other members, we have some um, some some really exciting opportunities for them in store. Party for everyone at the MFA. All the well, time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't imagine a better place to end it. Uh, and I'm sure that every, everyone who's listening out there uh, will go directly to the MFA website and, and sign up for membership. Uh, it's gonna be a, a fantastic year coming up and uh, I'm excited to see how you guys uh, continue to, to push ideas out there, continue to be innovative. Uh, and, and really bring that strategic plan to life. So thank you very much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's thank you. It's great. EPAM Continuum is a global innovation design firm with studios in Boston, Milan, and Shanghai. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real, because from our perspective, ideas aren't really innovative until they exist. 
Thanks to Katie Getchell, Julia Prop, and Brandon Terrell for their conversation today. Undying gratitude to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire. Numerous appreciations to Ken Gordon, our producer for all of us masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Pete Chapin, and to our audience, we thank you for your ears. Thank you.